It's Sunday, the 1st of November. This is the Good Development Podcast, and my name is Mark Scheiman. I will be your host. Welcome to Episode Zero of the Good Development Podcast. This is actually just an intro to good development and what it is that we want to do. We want to make this the show that if you're in the field of international development, you ask your mom to listen to this show if you want her to understand what it is you really do. We're going to try to keep things simple, to the point. We're going to focus on the principles of development, and we're not going to try to get caught up in too much jargon or technical talk or, or that sort of thing. So in this intro episode, we want to accomplish four things. The first thing is, is to introduce the concept of good development. What is it exactly we mean? Because the term development can mean a lot of different things. I'll tell you a little bit about myself, and I'll talk to you why good development is so important to me as an individual. We're going to discuss the way we tackle the questions of good development on this show. We're going to talk about the types of guests that we're going to invite. We're going to talk about the type of questions that we're going to ask, and we're going to try to see what we can learn from in bringing on some distinguished guests onto the show. And then finally, I want to close the episode today with a discussion of something that I think is going on right now that's a big deal, and that is the role of the private sector in international development. Let's kick it off by talking about exactly what it is we mean by good development. And we'll do that by talking about the two individual words. First, the word development. Development can mean, obviously, a lot of different things. You can have personal development. You can have local economic development, which is done by your city council. You can have real estate development. There's all sorts of different terms of development. What we mean in this particular show by development is international development. And more specifically, what that means is a country with resources provides something or, 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 or people from a country with resources provide resources to a country with fewer resources. So a rich country or a wealthy country, or even a moderately wealthy country, has some sort of foundation or has some sort of agency or has some sort of department that travels across its borders to another country and provides some sort of program or grant or sum of money or, or somehow there's a transfer of resources from one side to the next and it's from wealthy to poor is the intent. It, that's what's supposed to happen in international development. Oftentimes that conversation is between governments when we're talking about uh, international development from the context of government to government lending. So it can be from the United States, it can be from the United Kingdom, it can be what we call multilateral which comes from the World Bank made up of many nations of United Nations. And they go into one nation or they'll go into many nations in a particular region and they'll, they'll provide some sort of support in some way to do something. Now, there's a big question of why. why. Why do we actually want to go into another nation? And is it, is it a feeling of, uh, it, is, it, is it a pol political thing? Oftentimes it is. Is it a, a feeling that you need to make up for sins of the past? Is it just a, good, a feeling that we need to help our fellow neighbors? I mean, all of these questions are valid and all those answers are valid. But I'm not going to discuss that right now. What I, what I just simply want to focus in on is money or people or ideas move from one country to another country 
to help that other country develop and get better. Now, the idea of it getting better than it was before is a very subjective thing. And we, it, it really depends on what you're looking at. And I mean, the obvious example is a big factory that goes up that employs a lot of people, which is good, but pollutes, which is bad. And so you actually have to think about what is good and what is bad. And, and the beauty of it, or the ugliness of it, depending upon how you look at it, is that there's no easy answers in development as to what's good or what's bad. Sometimes we don't use government. Sometimes it's a foundation from a wealthy individual or, or, or a not-for-profit that's raised money, sometimes a religious charity. And they go into a country and they do things directly for the people and they bypass the government. That sometimes works, that sometimes doesn't work. Some governments are sticky about that. They don't like that. They have the control mechanisms of work permits and labor permits and visas and things like that. And they can keep somebody out that they don't want in. There have been cases of development in which we're strengthening an opposition party's ability to compete in elections. And that then becomes something that the sitting government might not feel terribly comfortable with. And they make it a little bit more difficult to go in. Obviously, diplomacy comes into factors and the relationships between the countries. And there can be pressure from one country to another country to allow someone to come in and do something. But I've also seen situations that aren't good, where an NGO, a non-government organization, with all good intentions, goes into a particular country to strengthen and help out the farmers. And they introduce a seed to the farmers without discussing it with the local government first, when it turns out that the local government has its own program and it's distributing its own seed. And now all of a sudden there's a potential for a conflict. And so we look at these things. Oftentimes we talk about the role of the government and that sort of thing. And that becomes important for a particular reason, is that when we're, when we're looking at development and we're thinking about international development, one of the things that we're always thinking about is who's deciding what needs to be done. And there's been a number of conventions in Accra, in Busan, uh, where it was agreed that the, the, the country that is being developed should have a heavy and strong voice in what sort of development is going to take place. The question is, does the government speak on behalf of the people that need to be developed? Because that's the voice of the people. So this whole relationship between the provider and the receiver is a very complicated one. But all of that is something that we're putting under the term of international development. And it's different in the sense that if you're talking about local economic development of an American city or you're talking about your own personal development plan, generally you're embarking on your own path of development. So you choose which direction you're going in. You don't have somebody from your, your neighboring city or you don't have even your neighbor coming over to you and saying, this is how I want you to develop. This is how I want you to get better. I want you to lose weight. I want you to keep your house cleaner. I want you to make less noise. In this particular case, we're actually going over to somebody else's house and ideally with agreement ahead of time, we're helping them get to a place where they're not right now. The other word, of course, is good. And the question is, what is good development? So if we're just giving money or we're giving assets or we're giving resources from a country that has 
to a country that has less. That would seem to be universally a good thing, right? I mean, that, that transfer of wealth has got to be a good thing because it's got to pick up the lives of people and make it a little bit better, even if it's for a small bit, than, than they were before. But what we've learned over the years is that there, there is good development and there is bad development. There's been a whole host of books written on what is bad development. I really hope to get one of the authors on, on this show. But there haven't been that many books written about what is good development. I've been a practitioner for almost 30 years, and I feel like we do a lot of good work. But I've also seen bad work. And what I don't want to do is dwell on the bad on this show. I want to talk about what works. I don't want to talk. I, but in order to do that, we actually have to talk about what doesn't work. So let me talk about a few things that that doesn't work, a few things that don't work. This this industry is very big on its grammar, and I got to get that right. Uh, so here's a few things that don't work. Number one, the concept of market distortion. Market distortion is when we, with all good intentions, provide a service that's already available on the market. We provide it for free because we assume people can't afford it. Well, meanwhile, there's a commercial market that, that sells this particular service. And we come with very expensive experts to, to provide this service, much better, we, we suggest, than the local market. And of course, if you're asking a local market provider to provide their services against our services for free, they're going to lose and they're going to go out of business. And we've done some terrible damage to certain markets in the world. I remember when I was living in Pakistan, seeing the amount of training that we were doing in Pakistan and the damage that it was doing to the training services providers, that they only wanted to line up and work for us. They wouldn't provide their own training in an open environment where people could just come and sign up because they didn't get paid as well. And, and frankly, people didn't want to come to them. I mean, it, they became the bottom of the barrel and they charged money for that. And we wound up with all the good training and we were doing it for free. And it really messed up the market pretty good. The other thing that we do, and it's another bad thing, and, the, and, there, and I don't, again, don't want to dwell on the bad things, but we can create dependency. And dependency is, is a fairly obvious concept where if you keep providing somebody with something on a regular basis through no other mechanism other than giving it to them, that eventually they're going to get used to that and they're going to stop taking the actions that they need to take to graduate from the assistance because there's no reason to, particularly if they're getting that, that assistance for free. So there are a number of things that can go wrong, and they can do damage, and they can cause long-term harm. There are a number of things that we can do right, and we can, we can enable people to step up and take control of their lives and move forward. We can give women opportunities that they might not have had otherwise. We can give entrepreneurs opportunities to do th things that they've never had in their lives. And we are concerned about two different things. One of them is sustainability. And we use, I hear this word sustainability all the time in all sorts of different ways. Uh, and sometimes it makes no sense to me. But what sustainability means to me in international development is that when I leave, this is going to carry on. That this doesn't just happen when the money's pouring out, but when the money, we are setting something up that self-continues, self self-perpetuates. And it's... We're learning how to do this. It doesn't come naturally. There's a resistance to it in some respects, particularly if you gave stuff away for free. And by the way, you're going to hear me talking about giving stuff away for free because this is, this is a danger in development is when you give things away for free. 
The other phrase that we've used recently is a phrase called additionality. And this is, this is the concept of doing something or paying for something that would have happened anyway, even if we hadn't come, just so that we can take the credit for it, right? We latch on to something that's already going to happen. And yeah, we add some value to the whole process, but ultimately the thing happens and then we take some credit for it and we actually use quite a bit of money to do it. And we haven't really shown much growth or development in the country overall. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring guests on the show and we're going to have four different types of guests. Guest number one is going to be the guest that programs. And this could be anything from a politician that decides how much money is going somewhere to the people at the top of the donors or the foundations that design the strategies of how we're going to use the money to the people that actually design the activities. Then we're going to talk to the implementers. The implementers are oftentimes going to be private companies or not-for-profits that will go in there and accept some form of a contract to execute a particular task or, or, or a set of tasks in the form of a project or a program. Sometimes it's called an activity. But they do stuff for money. And as a result, the money results in what the, what the government wants it to do or, or, the, or the foundation wants it to do. The next group that I'd like to try to talk to are a few beneficiaries. Now, it's really rare that I can talk to a beneficiary who's been receiving assistance from us for 25 years or something. Usually it's going to be someone who's recently encountered development assistance and has some sense of it. And so we're going to look for, we're going to look for a few beneficiaries who can talk about what is good development as far as they're concerned and when, when, when did it work well and when it didn't work well. And then finally... I'm going to talk to observers, and there are a lot of observers, and this can be anything from academia to the think tanks to the authors. And then we even have within our whole international development community something called monitoring, evaluation, and learning, which are people who draw lessons learned, feed it back into the system so that we can do it better the next time. When we're asking about what is good development, and this is where it gets really kind of interesting, is that a certain set of money is set aside by either a foundation, they've drawn it from wealthy individuals or even just through donations, they've drawn it through the government, the government itself has set aside some of its funds to do some development work in a particular country. One of the things that we're going to ask our guests about is why programming an activity and flying out experts and flying out international, you know, PhDs to, to come in to tell a country what to do is better than just taking that money and giving it to people. How is it better? If we have $20 million and we intend to impact the lives of 20,000 people, why not just give them $1,000 a person? The programs are meant to be designed to achieve a higher impact than just giving the money away. And, and giving, giving stuff away is never a sustainable activity. That's rule number seven. Giving stuff away is never sustainable. So we want to ask the interviewees, the people who come on this show, we want to ask them basically, what value are you providing above and beyond just handing out this money to people? Because that is what makes development Something that could either be good or it could obviously make it something that's bad. So I told you I'd like to introduce myself. 
So let me go, go ahead and do that. My name is Mark Scheiman. I have been in development since I was a Peace Corps volunteer in 1991 in Botswana. When I was in Botswana, I was working with small and medium enterprises. Little did I know that 30 years later, I'd pretty much be doing exactly the same thing. I have worked in uh, Africa quite a bit. I've worked in Central Asia. I've worked in Eastern Europe. I've done quite a bit of work in the Middle East. I've run projects. I've run a number of projects, donor funded, ranging anywhere from five to $10 million all the way up to $339 million. All of them had a set of objectives in mind. All of them, we had a team of people that were carefully assembled to achieve those particular objectives. All of them had a timeline and a time limit. All of them had clear markers as to what we were trying to achieve. And all through the years, I've done a lot of this work and I've seen some things go terribly wrong and I've seen some things go very, very well. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about a microcosm of one of the things that I've seen. I came up uh, as a trainer and a facilitator. I, I was really good at bringing audiences, uh, of teaching people stuff, and then eventually bringing two sides together to talk through a particular issue and arrive at a conclusion. I got very good at that sort of thing. And one of the things that you see, and this is a microcosm of, of good and bad development, is that we used to pay people to come to trainings. And, and pull that in for a second, if you will. We used to pay them actual money to come. Now, sometimes we bury it in the term of lunch money or taxi money or something like that. And they do incur costs in coming to our training. So yeah, it's okay. Sometimes we house them in a hotel. I get very frustrated when we house people in a hotel when they live in that same city, but we do that. And, and the worst one is what we have called the sitting fees, where we actually pay someone to come and sit in the room and take the training. And if you don't pay them the sitting fees, they're not going to come there. This is one of this is rule number two. Do not pay people to come to your trainings. Never pay people to come to your trainings. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about something that happened to me when I was in a project uh, in Jordan. This was about 15 years ago. We were running a project in Aqaba, which was it, which is a, uh, a port city in the south of Jordan that the government was trying to make into a second growth pole to take some of the pressure off Amman, the capital city. And what happened was they got $6 billion in investment commitments from uh, international hotel chains and international hospitals and organizations that really wanted to participate in the growth of this port city. So what actually, what the problem was that all of this construction and all of this building the advantages weren't going to the local population. They were bringing in people from other countries to do all this construction because the skills weren't there. They didn't have tradesmen, they didn't have masons, they didn't have plumbers, they didn't have electricians. So we put on a training course. And during that training course, what we were gonna do, it was a vocational training and we were gonna train about 300 plus people to uh, learn these different trades so that they could get jobs and they could do the work. The unemployment rate was something horrific, like 40% of young males. Unfortunately, despite the fact that we provided transportation to and from the course each day, we provided meals each day. We even provided a living stipend. We could not get enough people to sign up to fill all those seats, which was shocking to us. Why wouldn't people want this opportunity to improve their lives and take these courses? They're free. 
Now, I was working on something different. I was working with the government itself. And when I was working with the government, one of the things I was doing is I was bringing in a lot of trainers from Amman down to Aqaba to teach various skills to the government officials in, in Aqaba. And I said to myself, this is a bit crazy. It's so expensive to bring them down. We have to put them in hotels and we have to feed them and everything. There's got to be trainers in town that we can use. And I heard about a training center in the center of town and I went to it. It was an old building. And I went in the evening when they because they hold the courses in the evening. And, and Aqaba is a very hot city. I mean, it's, it's relentlessly hot. It's desert. And the building was not air conditioned and the rooms were small. And the room I went into didn't have any windows and only had a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And it was packed with students who had paid their own way to be part of this training. So we wanted to pay people to train and we couldn't get enough trainees. And here's a company that offered training at a cost and the room was packed. And it, it really led me down this thought process of what motivates people to want to learn. And as a trainer, you know, when, when someone wants to learn, they're gonna be a much more effective student. They're gonna do a whole lot better than if, they, than if you just tell them that this is the course material they need to learn. Now, part of it was the supply and demand thing, right? The supply, we were being very supply-sided when we decided that these people needed to learn to be Masons so that they could become employed. Whereas this training course was providing English language, computer skills, and some other things that people really wanted to learn. And, and that's, that's definitely a signal. But the one thing that I did learn from this whole process is that people tend to be much more invested when they get to invest their own money and they make their own decisions about the type of development that they want to pursue for themselves. That is such a central part of everything we do, and not just in training, but that people are in a position to invest in their own futures. And I'll tell a, another story. I'll, I'll, I tell a lot of stories. I'm going to tell another story that many of you who have been working in Africa or have been working in uh, mobile phone technology are very well aware of. Um, when mobile phones first hit Africa, the couple of mobile phone providers calculated the demand by African citizens by figuring out how many of those had the disposable income to buy a mobile telephone. And they, they miserably undershot the real number. The real number came out many, many multiple times higher. And as a result, the towers were overstretched, the phones were sold out, and it took a long time for the whole system to catch up to the demand of Africa. And the reason is, is because we think we know what people want, but we don't. And we assumed that a cell phone was going to be a luxury when, in fact, a cell phone in this particular case in communication, a cell phone in this particular case was considered a necessity. We missed it. We didn't, we didn't see it. We didn't understand what it was that people needed. And therefore, we, we didn't make the right choices. Now, the commercial sector is able to catch up and, and respond to that thing. And right now, Africa is thriving with its, if it, with its coverage of, of mobile phones. But in my career that I've seen all of this, one of the things that I've learned is that you want to respond to the demand of the people and the demand of what they need. And when you do that, People will robustly participate in it, will invest their own funds, and it will be sustainable. Let me wrap up this episode by talking about a few of the trends that are taking place in international development, one in particular. 
there's a there's a term well it's not a term it's it's a thing profit profit is a very controversial thing in the field of international development profit in the context of what's called zero-sum economics is that some people will believe that if I make profit by selling you something for less than what I paid for it, that I've taken money out of your pocket and I've put it in my pocket. And, that, and for you to, to believe in that concept, you have to believe that there's no such thing as economic growth. That when someone makes profit, it goes from the buyer to the seller when someone loses money, it goes back from the seller to the buyer. If the sellers are the wealthy companies and the buyers are the poor citizens of the country, then what we're often talking about here is the sellers exploiting or stealing or taking away. And so for a long time in development, the concept of helping private companies make a profit was always considered to be a very bad thing. Recently, that thought process is beginning to change, and thank God it is. I mean, and when I say recently, I'm talking about the last 10, 15 years. We're beginning to realize the impact that private companies can potentially have for the buyers, for the employees, for the economy in general. And we're beginning to recognize that private sector is much more sustainable than development, that commerce sustains, whereas grants and giving things away don't sustain. Giving stuff away is never sustainable. Rule number seven. So there has been a movement towards the private sector to invest in them. And, and we're not always 100% sure how to do that. But there are still a lot of people in development that get very queasy with the notion that as a result of our assistance to someone in the private sector, they're going to make more money than if we hadn't intervened, that they're going to be more profitable. And they're going to send more money out of the country to their shareholders in foreign lands if we take these actions. And that must be a bad thing because we're taking the money out of the economy and we're putting it into someone else's economy. And again, that suggests that there's no belief in the concept of economic growth. However, that is changing. And that's changing fairly dramatically right now. So it started, developments broken often into economic growth and health and education, environment, democracy and governance, uh, conflict mitigation, stabilization, um, uh, aid, which is giving you know, grain to people who are starving. All of these sorts of things, um, economic growth tended to be the one in which we really focused in on the private sector. And what we would do for the private sector is usually it was entrepreneurs Sometimes there was a focus on women entrepreneurs, which is a good place to counteract a lot of the effects of societal bias in helping them to get loans and things like this. Um, we would spend a lot of time with the smaller entrepreneurs, and then we learned that if the big entrepreneurs are successful, they're buying from the small entrepreneurs. And then we started helping the big entrepreneurs, and then we said, well, if we're going to go for the big entrepreneurs, why don't we go for the very big entrepreneurs? And we went for the multinationals, and we did some things to help the multinationals as long as they were buying locally. It became a thing, of, it, it then became a political thing because multinational companies that came from your country were preferable. And, and this is sort of where we were going. But what makes it really interesting is that it's no longer just about economic growth. It's now about health. It's now about education. We're talking about private hospitals, private clinics, supply chains, pharmacies, 
all of these private. They can't be government run. And in order for them to succeed, they need the same sort of support that we would give to manufacturing firms and farms and power producers in the economic growth space. Same thing goes for education, is that now we are supporting a lot of these companies that we might not have ever supported before. And we're, we're getting away from the idea that a hospital making money is a bad thing. It's a good thing. And there's a, we'll have an episode about this. And we will talk about why profit is actually a good thing and how it, it causes growth and how it causes a company to sustain and invest further and so on and so forth. But I want to talk about one particular aspect of it that I think is so important about uh, supporting private sector as opposed to using grant money, giving money to people to help them develop. I mentioned that story about the mobile phones, and I mentioned how people had decided on their own that they were going to use mobile phones, as, that, that communications and mobile phones were, were not just something, a luxury item that you bought when you had disposable income, but it was a necessity, that you had to have it. And the communications was a vital part of life, and it was up there with health and food and medicine and everything else, that, that, that communications were that important. When we do development, we, talk, we, we think about what do they need. What, if we give them this, then they're going to grow. If they have better seeds, it's going to be better farms. If they have better marketplaces with more, more sanitary marketplace, there's going to be less disease. If the children eat better, then they're going to learn better. All of these sorts of things. We decide this, so we put the programs into place. Now, when we're trying to work with the government of the country, obviously the government ha is learning the same types of things that we learn. The people in the government went to a lot of the same schools, studied the same curriculum that we studied. So we're, we're usually thinking along the same lines. It might be that uh, it's more politically appealing within the country's government to do A rather than B, and we want to do B rather than A. And I mean, these are, these are the types of things that negotiate. But the question is, is whether or not the host country governments really represent what people themselves believe is in their best interests to help them develop. And when you sell something on the market, you allow the people who shop in the market to make a buying decision as to what is most important to them in their lives. When you give them something, you don't give them the opportunity to make that decision. There are a lot of what we call socially responsible investors, many of whom are coming in from the United States, who want to bring products in that will make people's lives better. And it's a very commendable sort of thing. They bring in these products. Unfortunately, someone has to buy those products. So what happens is they bring these products in and they put them on the market. And if people don't buy them, then people are making a decision that this is not part of their own development agenda, their individual development agenda. And if they do buy them, they are deciding it is part of their development agenda. Now, what happens is, is that for the, ones, for the people who don't succeed in selling their products, they tend to go to the next step, which is to go to the donors and say, look, can you help me discount my product so that people can buy it, which is then distorting the whole thing because people then... We go back to the situation that people are not making decisions on what's best for them. So what, what the private sector does, what it allows it to do is allow the citizens of these countries to participate in the decision-making of their own personal
personal development. Now, it's not always the case, and there are stories of times in the past where marketing machines from very large corporations discouraged people from doing what is in their best interest, and, and they're kind of horrific stories. But generally speaking, the idea of giving the respect to the people of a particular country that they, in fact, know what's best for them and they can make their own buying decisions and they can allocate their own resources in a way that is in their best interest is something that is a tool that I don't think we use enough in development. I don't think it's a way we think about it enough in development. And while the idea of thinking about that concept is not a set of activities, and it's just a, it's, it's more or less a concept. It's what I love about this concept of, um, the, this concept of, of the private sector and selling things to people and letting them make their own minds up as to what it is that they want to buy. I want to thank you for making it this far through this first episode zero of the Good Development Podcast. It's going to get better. I promise you that. I've got a couple of teammates that are going to join me in the next couple of episodes that are going to bring different perspectives and different skills, including how to do a proper podcast. I'm going to have, you know what? I got a New Jersey accent. I mean, there's only so long you can listen to a New Jersey accent. I'm getting us a proper British accent to run this show because that's what's needed for this thing to, to sound good. So that's coming. And then I've got a friend from the South, so maybe he'll do a little twang for you. But uh, it's he brings another perspective altogether. As much as I've been a longtime practitioner, he's been a longtime uh, programmer and academic and the two of us have a very unique perspective on this whole thing uh, I would encourage people to give me your comments and feedback I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say but uh, I promise you it's gonna get better from here we're gonna try to clear up the mistakes we make we're gonna we're gonna bring some really interesting guests your way I'm hoping to do this on a weekly basis dropping these podcast episodes on Friday mornings so follow this channel and I'll have some really good content for you in the weeks to come. Thanks again.